that we've been looking at is we've been seeing, uh, we have been looking at Ephesians, and we are getting to the part of Ephesians where Paul is praying. Uh, we saw last time he was thankful, uh, his, uh, part of his prayer to God is that he's thankful. In light of all that we've seen what God has done in Ephesians 1 thus far, is he is thankful, and he's thankful for believers, which was what we were focusing on last week. So that application, of course, is where we should be praying for others, including not just about them, uh, but also even praying to God, being thankful for them. Okay, um, So today we see there's a part in verses 17 to 18 is really the request. Okay, is really the request. And to summarize, if we were to put it in one sentence, what verse 17 and 18 is, is that Paul is praying that they would be, uh, that the believers, so he was moved from thanksgiving, he's thankful for them, but now he's praying that they will grow in the knowledge of God. Okay? That they will grow in the knowledge of the things of God. And then verses 19 to 23 is going to be the contents. Okay? It's going to be what specific things about God he wants them to know. Um, I thought today in looking at verses 17 and 18, uh, especially since we're going to be looking next few weeks at the content. So there's going to be a lot of theology. But I want to look at today, it's going to be more of what they call biblical theology. That is, it's interconnection within a book. Okay? Uh, the interconnection within a book. And I want to drive to point home that everything that we know about God should lead to application. Okay? Uh, say this after me. Everything we know about God should lead to application. Okay? So, and you just want to show that um, in light of this is that because as we go to the details of what Christ has done for us, as we go over the details about Christ and all these things, and even what we've seen last week uh, or last few months, um, with Ephesians 1, is all of this should lead to application. So today we're going to be looking at how um, really the book of Ephesians um, is divided into two parts. Uh, the first part is doctrines. Um, in chapter 1 to 3, that is what God has done for us, what Christ and the Holy Spirit has done for us. In chapter 4 to 6 is the application, okay? But I want to show you that the application, it's not as if there's disconnect, okay? It's not as if, okay, we're going to talk about God and this part has nothing to do with it, the application, or vice versa, when some people would have like, okay, um, they tell people, oh, do this or don't do that. But then you don't have anything to encourage them or to motivate them to do what is right. So the doctrine and applications are important, okay? So uh, another way of saying it is the two eyes, okay? That the first three chapters is the indicatives. That is, it's telling you a statement of facts, which leads to imperatives, Chapter 4 to 6, okay? And I want to look at that today just because um, uh, really is looking at Ephesians 1 to 6 today is to say that as we see in verses, uh, as we go over even more details next week about Paul's prayer, about the content of knowledge and his request is that we know, that the believers should know and grow in knowing more about God. Nevertheless, I don't want us to be so lost into all the details as we look at all this verse and say, oh, that has nothing to do with me or my life or how I live my life. But rather, we see that doctrines always lead to our devotions in terms of our devoted ourselves to God, okay? So in light of this, this is going to be the three points for today's message, okay? These are the three points. Point number one, uh, by the way, all these sentences are a little wordy, okay? Point number one is, I want to show us knowledge of how you used to walk. Knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk, okay? Knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk. Knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk, okay? That's point number one. Again, our purpose is to show that everything we learn about theology should impact our life. There's a connection for the first part of the book and the second half, okay? Point number one is knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk. And then point number two, point number two is this. Knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love, okay? Knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love, okay? Knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love. That's point number two, okay? Point number three Knowledge of us being made God's body. Knowledge of us being made God's body impact body life. Okay? Body life means the life of the church. Okay? Uh, let me repeat again. Point number three is knowledge of us being made God's body impact body's life, uh, body life. Okay? Um, so let me review all these three points again because I know the sentences are kind of long. Knowledge, point number one is knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk. Okay? 
Knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk. Point number two, knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love. Okay? Knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love. And point number three, knowledge of us being made God's body impact body life. Okay? Um, again, let me say why we're doing this is just so that as we go over the next few weeks about the details of doctrines about Christ and God and all and salvation and all of that, don't ever miss the point that, okay, this is just head knowledge. This is just all that it is only for Sunday. But it should impact your day-to-day life, your week, um, how you are in relations to others, and especially of how you relate in regards to people at church, the people of the family of God, okay? So with that, uh, really I want to see that doctrine is kind of like the fuel that makes you more godly, okay? Details of what God has done or who God is and what He's done should change the way you live, okay? You should change the way you live. So let's go to point number one, okay? Uh, Point number one is knowledge of how you used to walk impact how you do walk, okay? For this part, let's go real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. And what I'm trying to look at is actually when you look at the book of Ephesians, there's a theme where there's a theme of walking, okay? And, and this is not so much talking about physical walk, but I think it's talking about how you live your life, okay? How you used to live your life, that there's a, a, a illustration with the word walk, okay? Um, the Bible, uh, we're going to get to there in a few weeks from now. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and 3, it actually talks about how we used to walk. Before we were believers, before we were saved by the grace of God, how did we used to walk? This is the focus in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If you guys could turn over there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly live in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Okay, so this reveals that before we came to know God, um, just we are quite sinful. Okay, again, this is not what I'm saying. Okay, this is what God's word says. If you look in this passage, it says you were dead in trespasses. Trespasses is sin you actively do in rebellion against God. Um, where you say, hey, I don't want someone to be in charge of my life, okay? And sin is just what? Missing the mark, okay? Missing the standard of God, okay? Um, so, and this is saying that we were dead, okay? Which is kind of strange. At first you were thinking, wait, no, we could be physically alive. And we are physically alive, okay? But before we were Christian, I think what it means here is that we were spiritually dead to the things of God. That we didn't care for the things of God. Um, that we didn't care in such a deep way or real way that we actually submit to Him. I think uh, we do have some sense, even before, uh, even as non-Christian, people could have a sense of the holy or the sense of a higher power. But here it's saying that in regards to an actual relationship with God, again, this is what God's Word says, not what I said, we were dead uh, to that, okay? And then notice it says in verses 2, in which you formerly walked, okay? So now it's describing that once before, you might say, wait, how could we be dead and how could we walk, okay? This is not um, the walking dead, okay? We're not, this is not talking about physical zombies. But I think there's a sense where all of us are spiritual zombies. We could be physically alive. We could be driving even on the freeway, uh, going to work, um, making meals, okay? Having three square meals a day, um, breathing even when we're asleep physically, but yet the scripture says before spiritually we were what zombies in the sense that we weren't alive to the things of God. Okay, and it says that the way we used to walk was as sons of disobedience. That is, we were we didn't really care about um, intentionally, very actively trying to please God. Okay, um, and it says that we had the desires of the flesh of the mind. It says in verses three in nature. We're of wrath. That is, we deserve the punishment of God, okay? And by the way, before you use this verse to just club on people that don't believe, the Bible says, hey, this is where you, too, you are no better, okay? Um, if anything, that should humble us in how we relate to those that don't believe, realizing, hey, we're not anything better if it wasn't for the grace of God that changes us, okay? So, yet, when it says that we used to be walking in sin, does that impact how we live our life now? Yes, okay. In fact, we're going to see that 
Um, this is in Ephesians 2. This is uh, the part, again, this is part of one, chapter 1 and 3, which is statement of what God has done or just statement of reality, okay? But then in chapter 4 to 6, there's a lot of commands. And when you look at chapter 4 to 6, do you think you see the word walk that appears? Yeah, okay. In chapter 2, verses 2, we see we used to walk in sin before we knew Christ. We used to walk in sin. And not only walk in sin, but we don't even care, okay? Uh, we weren't actively saying, oh, I want to submit to God as we were. But now that God saved us, God's saving us from that path, the destructive path, should impact how you live your life now, okay? Should impact the way you live your life now. Um, and the way it impacts the way you live your life now is we're going to see. Turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So again, what I'm trying to show here is we've already seen uh, the theme of walk, of how we once walked, but now we're going to see how does this impact our life, of our walk, that is our, how we live our life now, okay? Ephesians 4, 17 states this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, okay? So this is interesting. Um, is saying we should not walk as the way Gentiles walk. Of course, later on, uh, as we go to our third point, um, us being saved doesn't mean we're now actually physically Jews, okay? That we need to be physically circumcised if you're a man, that kind of thing, okay? Um, but I think this is saying that, just like the rest of the regular Gentiles, that those that know God, Gentiles meaning the word means non-Jews, okay? Everyone that's non-Jewish is, is what? Which is all, most of us, Right? Um, we're Gentiles. But here it says, we no longer walk in that old way that all Gentiles do. And notice in verse 17, it says, hey, if we are, uh, we are to no longer walk in the futility of our mind, okay? Futility meaning the idea when we get there will be the idea of things that is temporary, okay? That is fleeting, okay? Um, and don't we, in our day-to-day -day life, don't we often sometimes focus on the things that don't matter? Isn't that so true in most of our life? A lot of times, and myself included, sometimes even our source of conflict and and even difficulties is sometimes when you really take a step back, right, and look at the big picture of things, um, it actually aren't necessarily things that matter in the big picture, okay? So here it shows in, in God's Word that we are no longer a walk in the futility of our mind. That is, we're not, we're, our value has changed. It's not just only on the temporarily and the um, short term of things, but now we ought to be focusing on the th things of God and also the things of eternity. Okay, so here notice it says that we are not uh, to do this. And by the way, it's kind of hard, right, to tell someone, "Hey, don't focus. Uh, stop thinking badly. Stop thinking badly. Stop thinking badly." But do you see how God's word is? I, I think all of us could could say that. Okay, could say, "Stop, stop, stop." Okay, but here the hard part is when how do we stop? thinking wrongly in a sinful way or focusing on the temporary. How do we do that is first and foremost, earlier, chapter 2, God says, hey, these were things that you were saved from, okay, that you were saved from. This is no longer true of you today, okay? Because of Christ living in you, you now have a new spiritual DNA and you can't say uh, yes to godly thoughts and yes, and you can have victory that God gives us power with that, but nevertheless, in our responsibility, as Ephesians four seventeen says, right, we no longer walk in the futility of our mind. Okay, uh, with any battle of sin, I think it always begins the battle in our mind. Um, I think by God's grace, uh, even with hope, is I think we have hope because uh, often when we can't get out of our mind, we say, "Oh, I can't. I have to think this way. Uh, I cannot." Um, but God's word now says that, "Hey, we can." Okay. We could say no to sin and yes to godliness, okay? And so many times what we preach ourselves, and I know things are hard, you know, sometimes fighting sin is very hard. The longer you fight sin, um, it's almost like playing a game like video games, right? Some of those video games in the beginning level, it's like, oh, it's easy, yes? <laughs> okay, uh, for those, that, the boys, right? But then as you climb each level, it gets more difficult. But God's word is also saying, hey, the world is going to get, the journey and the walk is getting more difficult, but God's Word says, yes, you can do it, okay? And He gives you grace and help to go to the next level of fighting our sin and focusing on the things that do matter, okay?
Uh, let's also turn with me to real quick to Ephesians 2.10. Okay. So we've seen what we used to walk, but now we ask, okay, um, how do we, uh, what, how should we walk today? Okay. Um, we know we formerly walked in sin. Of course, now we don't. So look with me real quick in Ephesians 2.10. It says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would, what is the next word? Walk. Okay, say walk. Okay, the word walk. Notice it appears again. So this is the third time we've seen the word the verb walk appears, okay? And what this verse is telling us, remember Ephesians 2 earlier just has just told us, hey, we used to walk in sin with no care, right? Uh, I remember before I was a Christian, um, I used to swear a lot, okay? Um, I think I told you guys before when I was 15 in high school, I wrote a poem. I thought I was Slim Jim, better than Slim Shady. Okay, I wrote a poem, began with the F word, submitted it in, and the school thought it was so cool. But the editors of the school just say, hey, um, we'll have your poems published, but can we just creatively change your title? And it says, yeah, okay. And then they change it to something more poetic. I don't even remember what it was, okay. Um, but God has changed that, okay. The first thing, when I first got saved, I think that was the first sin that I, I felt like, wow, I could drop. was swearing. Now, that doesn't mean, like I used to hold the standard where, hey, if you're a true Christian, you never cuss. But that was because I imposed my own standard, right? Like God has changed me, and therefore... Um, Every, everyone should definitely ne never ever struggle with cussing again, okay? But I realize everyone is different, right? Um, everyone's different, and all those different struggles is actually to make us trust in God more. So notice in Ephesians 2.10, says that God has what? Um, uh, uh, God is changed us, okay? Um, with that, Ephesians 2.10, okay? Uh, with that, where God has prepared us for good works, okay? And that means that we, that God in His sovereignty, in His plan, has planned for us to walk in good works. And that, what does that mean? Um, that means you could do good things in serving God, okay? Sometimes in fighting sin, it is difficult. Sometimes you, we might even have a hard week. But you know what? God's Word gives us this. This is an incredible encouragement to me. And that even if you have struggled, even as you look at, there's, man, there's not a lot of victory, spiritual victory recently. But Ephesians 2.10 says this, In God's sovereignty, He has prepared us to do good works. He's prepared us to walk ahead of time in this path for you. So that should be an encouragement for us to be able to say yes to good works. Not that we do good works to be saved, okay? Not that we do good works to be saved. Um, but rather, um, God has saved us, um, to do good works, okay, as our thanksgiving to God, okay, to, as a thanksgiving to God. Let's turn also as well with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Um, we're going to see another instance where the word walk appears, okay. Ephesians 4 1. Um, there is one uh, a correction. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have called. Okay. So do you see again the word walk appears? And notice now this is a command that we are to walk. That is, we're to live a life worthy of the calling. Okay. And you might ask the question, what is the calling? And that's the theme earlier. If you remember in Ephesians chapter one, we went over the whole theme about God has called us. Right. If you remember Ephesians one four. God has called us to be saved, that He's chosen us, okay? Uh, I know sometimes people ask me the question, like, hey, what's your whole point of your church and you, Jimmy, emphasizing being reformed and uh, preaching about election when it appears? Is there is application, is that if God has saved us, okay? Um, again, how do you know you're called? Um, is if you are saved. Anytime anyone is saved, okay, you're called, okay? And some people are not... Um, not yet believers, but we don't know who's called, but we preach the gospel to everyone, okay? Everything that breathes, I'm going to show the love of God to, okay? Because um, I don't know all, but I'm going to go and do that. And you, if you look with me real quick in Ephesians chapter 1, okay? In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, right, verses 4, He's chose us. He's, uh, verses 5, He's predestined us. He's done all these things. Again, there's a mystery. I don't know how He figured it all out and all this thing, okay? We do... We are real human beings. We do have a will, okay? But God is sovereign over that, okay? So don't think you're mini robots walking around, okay? Um, you do have a volition, okay? You do have emotions. 
on that kind of thing. But here, nevertheless, in light of God has called you, in light of this, it shouldn't be like, okay, if God has called me, then I'm going to be lazy. I don't do anything. No, but rather, if it is true that God has saved you, that even though your will was hardened and you still do radical heart surgery to change you to be able to respond to God, okay, that should change you, okay? And by the way, if God has called you no longer to uh, walk in sin and also yet say, hey, you're now walking in good path, those are what God has done. Now, in our day-to-day life, Ephesians 4, 1 says, okay, if these are, things are true, God has called you out of sin, and now God has called you to walk in good deeds, then what does that mean for application? Notice right away, the first uh, verse into the first section that's focusing on the commands, Paul just summarized it, A, in light of all these things, notice in verse chapter 4, verse 1, going back to that, when it says, therefore is therefore a reason. And what's the reason it's therefore is to say, the implication of everything in chapter 1 to 3, that God has called you, that God has made you no longer walk in sin, that now God w- makes you walk in good works. What does this mean? What is the application? What is our responsibility and our will to do? Chapter 4, verse 1, you're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, right? You're to walk with the calling, okay? And by the way, there should not be pride where you say, oh, wow, God chose me, okay? And God chose me versus other. That must be something really special with me, that God needs me on our team. No, no. God already says, hey, you were, you were chosen, not because you're worthy. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 3 is because you're sinful. That is why in chapter 4, verses 2, it says, what well, with all humility and gentleness and patience, okay? Um just let me guys know um, on Facebook these days, um, you know, um, different Facebook groups as I'm joined, reform ones, you know, answering people's Bible questions and all that stuff. After a while, uh, some of these groups may be moderators. And I feel like um, I'm almost, not just only with our church, but even online, I almost feel like I'm a pastor to what the lost boys of the millennials, right? These guys get saved, and sometimes these young men get saved. Um, they find deep theology, and they're like, wow, it's so amazing. But the church they go to is not necessarily, you know, um, their pastor agree. And then they're going arguing with the pastor, and they're taking screenshot of them fighting with their pastor and everything else. And they say, hey, Jimmy, look so cool. Look look how radical uh, my argument. Do you see how awesome? And you know what I often say is that, hey, you know what? You know, you need to calm down. You need to definitely, you have a humility problem. Okay, you need to love people. You might know things of the Word of God, but listen, the God's Word is not to slam people in their head. Okay, and you know, sure, you're telling your pastor you might read this book and they have not read that yet. Okay, that's that's might be factually true, but notice what chapter four verse two says: with all humility. Okay, the more you know, the you know, actually, the more you know God's Word, the more you should also know yourself. And the more you see yourself, the more sinful you are. And there should not be a sense of pride that God has saved you, okay? So to be a prideful Calvinist, to be pridefully reformed is actually quite deformed, okay? It's because the more you know yourself, the more you know God's Word, the more the $50,000 question I have these days that I can't answer is, why would God ever have chosen me? Why would God have ever saved me? Knowing how sinful I still am, knowing how sinful the Bible says I am, and knowing how the Bible says that he never chose me because I'm somehow, he needs me on his team, okay? Um, but yet God saved me. Should be a great of, point of walking in humility, in a gentle, loving kindness towards others, and patience, even with those that don't believe and with those that believe, willing to be wrong, willing to be slandered, and willing to have others um, to be wrong rather than to be right. So we see how it has application. Look with me also as well in the commands. Uh, chapter 4, verse 17, we've already looked at. But look with me in chapter 5, verse 2. Okay? Chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And walk in love. Okay? So we are to walk in love. What does that mean? Remember, walk is idea um, is a term to say to live your life in love. But then it's hard to love, is it not? Okay? Loving those that are easy to love is easy. But God has called us to love those around us, family members and friends, okay? Um, By the way, in everyone's life, there are always going to be someone that's difficult to love, true or not? Okay? Raise your hand if that's true. 
Okay? And if you don't raise your hand, if you say, oh, God is so good. Everyone, I'm so loving. Everyone's so easy to love. Uh, and this is how awesome I am. I love everybody and it's not easy. The chance is this, is probably you're the one that's difficult to love, okay? You're probably the one that when family get together, that everyone has a hard time when you say, oh, no one, you know, uh, everyone I love and I'm so good. And I have no one that's hard to, that's difficult to love. And that might be revealed that you might be loving need to go to the next level of sacrificial love. But loving those that are difficult to love is difficult, is it not? By definition, obviously, okay? So in verses 2, it gives us the motivation. How do we love when his people are difficult to love? Notice in verse 2, Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Chapter uh, 5, verse 2. We love others because what? Because Christ has loved us, okay? Christ has loved us, okay? Um, in chapter 5, verse 2, notice it also compares God's love or Christ's love for us as what? As a smell, okay? As a fragrant aroma, okay? Uh, when people love others, what do they do? When people are interested in courting someone, what do they do? Guys put on their cologne. I used to think it's a... Uh, Colon, okay, in the way with that, okay, just the spelling, right? Um, and women put on what their perfume, okay. But you know what happened? God's love, if it was to be, uh, why I'm drawn to God's love, is His sacrificial love is what draws me to Him, right? In the same way as I'm drawn to love Him, to see sacrificial love. And by the way, the more I grow as a believer in the last twenty years, uh, twenty one years I've been a Christian, the more I feel like, man. The Word of God is still always amazing with just different details of His death, different prophecies that appears in the Old Testament, okay? In other words, God is the easiest person to love. Could I say this? Christ is the most easiest person to love. I'm talking about objectively. Now, I know I struggle with loving Him. We all struggle with that, right? But God, uh, but uh, God is, uh, Josh, why don't you connect on Wi-Fi? Uh, I know I saw your message that your dad is running out, um, but I think you should figure out a way to connect your phone with Wi-Fi. But going back on, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, right, shows us that we love others, okay? That we love others um, because of Christ, how much He has loved us, okay? So God doesn't just tell you to do something, and that's it. He always gives you grace, Okay. In fact, the harder something is to do in your life, the more you re need to realize, no, God has given me grace, greater grace. And it's for you to dig into God's word, to see and love him more, to compel you how much he loves you, and therefore to do the hard things. Okay, uh, To do the hard things. You also see the, um, the walk also is one chapter 5 verse 8. Look with me in chapter 5 verse 8. Okay, Ephesians 5 8. Uh, says, for you form, were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, okay? So do you see how he doesn't just tell you, hey, walk and do what is right. But notice the grace. He tells you what you once were, which is a statement of fact, that you used to be in darkness. But now it gives a statement of fact. You are light in, in the Lord, okay? Notice it's telling you that in light of this, your new identity, your new identity is that you are a light of the world. So do you see how it changes the same, a statement of fact that if you're really a believer, it's part of your spiritual DNA to be a light. And now if you don't at all, it might be a time just like the same thing. If I turn on a light and it doesn't work, you might want to check the light to see whether you're connected to the source of power, which is Christ. Okay. It might be if you need to check you're saved. But the good news is this. He does want you to be saved. If, if you're hearing this and you're responding and says, I want God's grace. He will. He is gracious. Okay. And therefore, in believing and trusting in Him, you are now light. And then therefore, it's like you're reading, okay, this is who I am. And therefore, I have the power to live this out. Okay? Look with me also as well, chapter 5, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Okay? So please don't take anything I say, like, oh, God gives us grace to walk, and to say, oh, your mind is checked out. Okay? And you don't have to think. Automatically, you're always just going to be godly. No. God wants us to use wisdom to think wisely in living out our life. Okay? But nevertheless, He gives grace. Okay? In chapter 5, verse 15. 
Okay. Notice all these commands. You see this just a whole, um, just a whole bunch of walk in um, in the command form, imperative form. Okay. Beginning in chapter four, verse one. But it's all grounded part uh, 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 in the part of what grounded in, anchored in what God has done for us, calling us no longer walking. He's taking us out of the path of walking in sin, and also He gives us the grace to be able to walk in in good works. And therefore, that is why we could be able to what. Walk in wisdom. Uh, walk uh, no longer in a feudal mind that think, oh, you know what? Um, only I'm thinking, focusing on the things of the world, right? Um, and, and all that light, okay? So notice here the imperatives of walking in God's grace or walking in godliness is always grounded in what God has done in walk, making us walk, okay? Same thing also as well. That's point number one. Knowledge of how God, of how you used to walk, impact how you do walk. Point number two is this. Knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love. I think that's already hinted at uh, already in what we've seen in some of those passages, but we'll go into this more in depth, okay? Okay. Uh, knowledge of how God loves you impact how you love, okay? Turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, if you remember this. Um... Just as He's chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Okay, we'll stop there real quick. Is You see the word in love. That we're actually in, abiding in, or in the sphere of God's love. Okay, that's very clear. So I'm going to look at a whole bunch of verses where you see that God loves us. Okay, Ephesians 1.4. Ephesians 1.6. If you guys look with me in 1.6, just two verses later. Okay, again, the theme of God's love for us. Um, is such that Paul can't help but to say it just within close proximity next to one another. Ephesians 1.6 says, The praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Okay? Do you see again that we are beloved? Okay? Do you see the theme that God is love? Okay? Um, look with me also in chapter 2, verse 4. We'll get there in a few weeks, but we're going to look here also as well. The theme that God loves us. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Yeah, okay. Notice the word love appears twice, okay? It says His great love, and then as a verbal form, that He loved us, okay? His love is great. His love is vast, okay? Um, that's incredible. The quantity we see of His love, right? As it says, it's great. And by the way, it is of great quality because what? It's a sacrificial love that Christ would die on the cross for our sins. Turn with me also as well in chapter 3, verse 17. Okay? Chapter 3, verse 17. It says, So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Okay? So we are anchored in God's love. In a world of so much uncertainty, one thing that we could always be certain of no matter what our circumstance and situation is, is that He loves us. How do we know that? Christ died for you, okay? It's an objective fact that happened in history, okay? Uh, by the way, just even um, even non-believers during the time of Jesus, a Pharisee named Josephus even mentioned in a book of Antiquities of the Jews what he wrote in chapter 18, verse 31, okay? He even said that Christ died. Now, obviously, there's debate about, you know, um, what it means, but I think that's one of those objective facts that is true in history, right? It's easy for people today. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, we don't know Jesus existed at all. But I think it's even by historical standard. Um, there's a very famous atheist historian named Bart Ehrman wrote a book that Jesus existed. And he argues that Jesus really did live and he died. But then when it comes to resurrection, that's when he says, ah, I don't know what happened. Okay, But nevertheless, he died for us. Okay, When it says here that we are rooted in His love, don't ever forget, don't look for love, in your whether your circumstance is good or positive or something you want or desire or undesired. The objective fact of God's love is that Christ died for you and saved you from your sins. Okay. In light of these statements, these indicative statements, that is statements of facts, that God loves us, we also see, therefore, that should impact how what? We love others, okay? Notice, turn with me real quick to Ephesians 1.15. Ephesians 1.15, when we turn there, 
Um, Josh, could you read that out loud for me? For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Yeah, this was what we looked at last week, if you remember. This is a portion of Paul's letter where he's praying for them and saying he's praying. And he begins first that he's thankful to them for two things. Remember, is what? That they had faith, number one, and that they love others, okay? So here, in light of everything that Paul has mentioned about God's love, notice the church in Ephesians. Live this out. It impacted them, okay? It had a great impact, knowing how great of a, a quality and quantity of how God and Christ loved us led them to be what? Loving others. So to such a point that Paul could say, wow, this is a beautiful thing, and I see that you love others, and that you could be the example and he's writing this and saying, Hey, I thank God all the time that of your love for all the believers. Okay? So the imp impact and the application is that you should love others. Okay? You should definitely love others. Okay? You should love others. Also as well, uh, you see also as well the application of knowing um, of God's love should lead us to love. If you could turn with me real quick also as well to Ephesians 3.17. We read earlier 3, uh, a correction, 3.19. We read earlier 3.17 of what He loves us. Now 3.19 is what? Two verses later that we are to be loving, okay? Ephesians 3.19. Uh, Paul says this, And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of love. So Paul, in talking about uh, all these things about love, he says, well, I'm going to be praying for you to know God's love. He's not praying that God loves them more. He's actually saying, you know, in light of everything he says, God loves us greatly in great amount. Okay. Now he's praying that they would be able to know that. So it will impact their life. So I think one application of knowing God's love and his great love is that you also pray for others and also for them to know deeply God's love. Now, I think we should pray for different things with people going through, right? Their difficult situation, their temptation, their trials, their work, their lack of work, their, um, their uh, family situation, their finance. But one of the things we should never forget to pray is some of those situations, their problem might not necessarily go away. We pray for people's health, but sometimes some people's health problems do not go away. That's... God's plan. So in light of this, we should also be praying, just like Paul, for them to know God's love so they could persevere even as they're going through their trials, whether or not God takes away their trials or not. Now, again, let me say this. We should pray for people's needs, but don't forget also to pray for them to know deeply God's love. It's not either or, okay? Um, it's not as if like when anyone suffers, you say, I'm not going to pray for your suffering. I'm just going to pray that you lo love God more and know God's love. No, I think it's both. And, okay, but nevertheless, you see, we should pray for, as just the Apostle Paul motto that people would know the love of Christ in such a way that it will be impacted, that they will be full. And the Greek word for full is often the same word for full, F U L L, or filled, F I L L E D, is also the same word as mature. Okay, so praying for spiritual maturity of others means that they need to know the depths. And the greatness of God's love. And maybe that's part of the reason why some of us struggle in spiritual maturity. Is actually we think this next level of Christianity is something we have to do more or whatever else we, which we do. But the root of that is not, that's not the root of that. It's not good works that you do by your own power, by your own strength and your own self-worth. But rather it's actually the real root for Christian maturity is actually knowing the depths of God's love. Listen, listen, you can never be a mature Christian. I, I know we're not perfect. Uh, we'll never be perfect. But you can never be a mature Christian, which should be our aim, if you don't dwell and know the depth of God's love. Okay? So this is why we always stress so much on devotion, on reading God's Word, on reading the theology of God's Word. Okay? Um, and we should read that so that we could grow into a mature Christian. Let us also look with me also as well to Ephesians 4.2. Ephesians 4.2. It says earlier, uh, we looked at this, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. 
And if you, um, my version says tolerance. Some of your version might say forbearance. Any of your versions say patience. What about anyone else's version say anything else? Besides... Mine says tolerance. Tolerance, okay. Long-suffering. My wife's New King James version say long-suffering, okay. Um, I think in theology, there is a difference with the word patience and long-suffering. Um, I think there's a difference. Maybe I'll give an example. Um, let's just say there's two people driving. And there's someone that cut off both individuals on the same freeway, okay? Patience is this. When someone uh, cut off, cut you off, um, the w patient driver would say, Oh, I wasn't even bothered. Oh, you know, he doesn't even, like, he's not even offended at all, okay? Long-suffering is this. You get cut off. You're like, oh, man. I, I, I really did not like that. But then you're not going to act out like, I don't know, uh, drive faster and cut him off, you know, give him a middle finger, and then your church license plate says, or, you know, bumper sticker says, follow me to True Chinese Alliance Church or something like that. Crazy, okay? So forbearance is what? When you are offended, when you are hurt, you don't act it out, okay? Patience is what? Okay, you're not, you know, you're not offended. You're, you're not being worked up at all emotionally. There's no negative response being triggered on your part. Now, I know in our English, we use those terms overlap, and that's okay, okay? It bleeds over, okay? That's okay. But I'm just saying in the technicality, in knowing these distinctions, actually helps us to see, oh, whoa, not only do I have to work on being patient, right, to increase the buffer where you don't get hurt at all, and also we need to increase long-suffering, that even when you are offended, you're not acting out, okay? You're not acting out in an ungodly manner, okay? Okay, so here, um, thank you, Mrs. Burton, her version, Amplified version says, making allowance, okay, because you love one another, okay? So I like that, making allowance. You're giving away, okay? You're giving some padding, so to speak. So how do we have this? How do we have this when we are already hurt and we don't act out in a sinful, ungodly way? Uh, I think it's to be rooted, okay? It's to be rooted in knowing how much God is what? Both doing both. He's patient with us and He is long-suffering. I mean, how many times have we messed up in our life, our sin? Right, we believe what the Bible says. We've been sinner even since the womb. God has been extremely gracious and patient with me. In thirty, uh, how thirty thirty six? I always forget how old I am. Okay, always around this time. Usually, I go over overseas to teach. Okay, and you know how um, Chinese people like the year starts with one. I always round up a little bit because when I go over there, they always say, "Oh, Hanancheng." I was like, basically, you're very young. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Like kind of thing. So I always like, uh, you know. How old are you? Is it 36? No, no, I'm, I'm 37, you know, with that. Because I say my 8, 1983, and they're all oh, 37. So, yeah, 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 I'm going to go with that number, okay? That kind of thing, okay? So let's go back on with Ephesians, okay? In light of that, uh, we see uh, the theme of God's love, okay? The theme of God's love is what drives us to be for, uh, forbearance or patience and long-suffering of others. Also, look with me in 4.15. It says, By speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects, into him who is ahead, even Christ, okay? So we are apparently also as well to speak the truth in love, okay? Some of us, we, we have no problem speaking truth, okay? We quote-unquote tell it as it is, okay? Uh, I think it's good, but remember we must also speak the truth in what? Love, okay? Speaking the truth in love, that it must be seasoned with love also as well. Notice also in verses 16, it says, For whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by every joint, supplies according to the proper working of each individual, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you see the word love appear again? You know what, what is verse 16 telling us? It's saying, talking about the church, it should be what? A place that's being built up in love. Okay? So notice how because of God's love, when you go to church, you also show what? The love of God towards others also as well. We're going to look more in verse 416 later on with our third point of our message when we talk about the body, okay? But you see this theme of, of love, okay? Also, this impacts marriage. Ephesians 5.25, okay? Ephesians 5.25. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a high standard okay 
I know like even in my evangelism sometimes on college campuses, right? You have some guy that will say, oh, I'm not a believer. Uh, the Bible has many problems. And the Bible is a book of that's patriarchal, okay? That it's used the Bible to subvert a woman, okay? Because it says, wives submit to your husbands. But in the same chapter in Ephesians 5, the title is, wives submit to your husband. Notice in verse 25, husband are to love your wife just as Christ also loves the church. You realize how radical that is? Christ was, loves the church how much? He's willing to be wronged by her. He's willing to even give up himself for her as it says. Okay, He's willing to die for her. I do ask myself this question from time to time in my own life. Am I willing to die for two things? Now, I'm not one of those guys that has false bravo. I, I, I think when we think about death, I think people could be one moment heroic and next moment, what? Show extreme cowardice. Cowardness, okay. I think those guys that are real, like in the occupation of death, will realize this. I think Jin could attest, and even Anthony. I know even the Marines, um, guys, certain guys I know, right? Um, when, in 323, I hear stories of, wow, they did something heroic. They saved one other guy. And next moment could be very cowardly, like fighting over someone else over, um, what do you call it? Meals, like MREs, like the meal things. Like, hey, I need to have my, uh, I need to have my, uh, I don't know chicken with rice or else and this next moment you're like, what are you are you kidding next moment you could be so selfless next moment you could be so selfish so uh, i always ask myself this question from time to time am i willing to die for christ okay am i willing to die for christ number one and number two am i willing to die for my wife sometimes the answer is that yeah i could i could see myself dying for christ next moment say oh man oh that's kind of hard i think about my kids I think about everything else okay and i think of also as well same thing Moments like, oh, I love my wife so much I could die for her. Next moment, like, oh, I don't know. You know, but we have a duty to do that, okay? I think it's a question to always regularly ask ourselves is, but here we see, uh, in, you know, uh, building out of love, okay? We must uh, love our spouse, as it says, as Christ loved the church, willing to die for her, okay? Notice in Ephesians 5.28, Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his own wife loves himself, okay? He didn't say this once. He says this how many times? Twice. About the theme of what? Hey, you must what? Be able, willing to die for your spouse. That's a high command to tell someone to die, is it not? It's a very high calling to say to die for your spouse. But God didn't just tell us just to do this, to do this with no help. Your motivation and encouragement is what? That Christ has already died for you. Okay? I think in a lot of marriages today, we need the husbands to die to ourselves every day. Right? Christ says, pick up your cross daily. That's for everyone, men and women. But husbands, for our marriage, and I'm saying this with conviction, not as one who has it together. We husbands are called to what? Commit every single day, sin aside. Dying to sin and living for Christ. Okay? Not suicide, okay, but sinicide. You know, you need to commit first degree felony with murdering of sin, okay? Dying to yourself, dying what do we want. Not what I'm saying, I'm convicted too. But by God's grace is looking at Christ, the ultimate one who committed sinicide, dying for our sin. And therefore, may we be motivated to say, hey, I will die to myself. And by the way, single men are not left off the guard. I know some of you guys desire to be married, right? You can message your pastor, say, I'm interested in this guy or whatever else. But you too, at this point, learn to love your family members radically. Learn to love your mom radically, okay? Learn to love your dad. Submit to your dad. Learn. By the way, the best, per the best leaders are always those that what? Know how to submit, okay? So work on that in submission to your fathers, right? To all authorities, right? Okay? With all of that. Let us now go to the third point. Uh, knowledge of... Uh, us being made God's body impact body life okay this part now is going to be focusing on the church God loves the church so much he calls what the church his body okay um, in fact the marriage uh, in Ephesians 5 God even says the church and um, uh, and Christ the analogy is almost like marriage too right and that should also should caution us on how we love the church because if the church is the bride of Christ we should respect it, right? How many of you guys in a wedding, 
How many of you guys would go to a wedding that you went there because you're a friend with the groom and then you would go and complain about the bride? How many of you guys would dare do that? I probably wouldn't because what? You probably get smacked in the face, right? <laughs> with that because it, that, you know, on the best day of, of the marriage, right? It's like a husband's marrying a, 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 a bride. Groom, uh, you know, uh, groom. How many of us would go to the groom and say, you know what, man, I really don't like your bride. I love you, though. We're cool. We're homies, right? All that stuff. But then you go ahead and say everything else. Man, I don't like the... Uh, you, like, are you crazy? Right? Think about it for a moment there, for a moment. The tr- bride of Christ is who? The church. Now, I do think we need to be real about the church's sin. I, I do think so. And I think the church is far from perfect, okay? Simple church history reveals that. And also living life in the church. As you get to know people, the church is imperfect. So none of this is to say sin is okay, okay? None of this is to ever say that uh, bad pastors and bad leadership and unbiblical authoritarianism is, is cool. That is not what I'm saying. But I think the way we bring up sin to Christ should also be something we do with care and how we pray. Because that's the bride of Christ. That's whom Christ loved, okay? And by the way, that should also lead us to also be what? Uh, love and respect that also uh, of the bride, okay? Um, so in light of this, let's see uh, uh, in the statement of facts where in Ephesians says that God has made the church His body. Turn with me to Ephesians one twenty-two to 23. We're going to be looking at this more in depth, hopefully next week or two weeks from now, okay? But it says here, And He put all things in subjection under His feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. So notice the church's reference in verse 22. And now verse 23 is going to describe us what is the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. We're looking at this verse to show that Christ calls his church what? His body. His physical body. Turn with me also as well to Ephesians 2.16. By the way, it's not because we earn our way to become his body. It's surely by His God's grace, okay? Ephesians 2.16 And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having it put to death and enmity. So in the context here, Paul is saying that Jews and Gentiles, no matter what ethnicity, right? We're now part of one church, okay? I know we go to a church called Truth Chinese Alliance Church. Uh, you know, four words in our name. The most important word to me of those things is church. Okay, then secondly is truth. Oh, actually, no, Christian, Christian, because you know any name of any church, Christian church is cool. And the third part is probably truth because we're all about truth, right? Obviously, God's truth matters first because that's how the church is established. But you know what? Of all those four names, the one that um, if you tell me like, oh, you have to knock out one part of your name of the church, with no, with no sweat at all, without even a thought, I'll drop the name Chinese. Okay. Not not because I hate myself or any of that thing, okay? Or I'm like anti-Chinese. Like, you guys understand, I can't be anti-Chinese, right? Obviously, you know, look at my face and my eyes, right? You know, I'm a Mongolian face, yellow skin, whatever. Okay? So I'm a mango, right? Yellow and brown, all that kind of thing, okay? But the part why I dropped this is because the church is more than that, okay? The church is more than that, okay? It is more than just an ethnic identity. The fact that today, right... That we have a church building on 4047 North Durfee Avenue, right? Where of all ethnicity, the people that are non-Jewish and all that stuff, is because of God's grace, because of verse 16. Because God's goal is to reconcile all people, right? Anglos, you know, African Americans, right? Asian, you know, um, Hispanic, whatever else we could have one unity be is because of the cause of Christ, okay? Because of the cause of Christ, okay? So I'm willing to be all people to all people, okay? To those that are Mandarin, I'm going to speak broken Mandarin, right? To the people that are, you know, whatever, right? We, we do it all, okay? To Nepalese, I'm going to speak saying Hajur or whatever else, right? Okay, we do, are all people to all people, okay? So in the same way, why is that possible? Because of God making all of us, Jews and Gentiles, part of His church, okay? By the way, there's no place for racism in the church at all, okay? And we should also be very careful, um, of even thinking one ethnicity is superior to others, okay? Because every ethnicity, group, and culture, because culture is man-made, always have some flaws. There's always good things and bad things, okay? Just realize that. So let's go back on in Ephesians uh, 3.17. You see again, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong verse. Uh, okay. Uh, let's now we're gonna see imperatives. Okay. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians four four. So we've seen that God has made us part of His body. Okay. Now we're gonna see application. If we're part of His body, that should mean we should live what a certain way in the body of Christ. That is the church. Ephesians four four says there is one body and one spirit. This is also your called in one hope and in one of your calling. You know what this verse is saying? Is we should be one body in the sense of unity. Okay? Not uniformitarianism. Okay? Not uniformity. But what? Unity. Okay? You guys know the difference between unity and uniformity? Some unity is based upon what? Uh, everything must be uniform. Okay? That means we must all like the same music. Right? We must all be of the same... Uh, you know, occupation, that kind of thing, you know. I know a long time ago when I used to be a, a young man in the church, Andrew, um, when he was slowly discipling me to be a pastor, he was telling me like, hey, there's this one guy in our church. Um, he goes to a certain college and he says, oh, you know what? I want to leave uh, this church because I'm looking for a church where there's all these um, electrical engineer uh, to be the case. And we don't have enough electrical engineer. But Jimmy, you're going to go say, I'm not going to be electrical engineer. He's like, I know. You're going to be thorn on his side. You know, Andrew said that. You know, typical Andrew, right? You know, just like, you're going to be thorn on his side, but love him to show him what unity looks like. People could be so different and yet be what? Uh, you could have unity. So you're just tasked with that, with meeting him one-on-one. -on -one. I was like, whoa, okay, right? So we're not called to be uniform, okay? We're not called, not all of us are artists. Not all of us are, you know, scientific analytical thinkers, right? Uh, all of us are different, but God has called us to be united, Okay. True unity is not uniformity, okay? If everyone is going to be all the same, then I think that might be a sign that we're a cult, okay? A sociological cult. But God has not called us to be that. But God has called us to be what? United. True unity in light of diversity, okay? So he says here, we are what? One body, okay? Ephesians 4.12. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the working of service to the building of the body of Christ, okay? So... When it says here, verses 11 earlier, okay, uh, verses 11 earlier, uh, we see as he gave some as apostles, um, in different gifts, right? Some are evangelists, some are pastors, and some are teachers. Why is that? All these different gifts is so that we could be able to be built up, okay? To be built up, okay? In Ephesians 4, 12, okay? Verses 13, uh, we attain the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay? So why do we have diversity? Is actually to build up the body of Christ. Okay? Each one of us has different gifts. You know? Um, Jin always laughs at this whenever I say this. I know it can become so cliche. But I you know I say this all the time. Is we need each other. Okay? So you help me out. Say we need each other. Okay? We need each other. Okay? We all have different gifts. Okay, we all have different gifts. You guys realize that? Okay, I am not a pharmacist. Okay, I'm not a legalized drug dealer, but I'm so glad our God church for whatever reason we have so many legalized drug dealers, right? From Ben and Noel to Hui and all that. Okay, we need each other. Okay, so with this virus situation, I don't know a lot of things that are medical, right? Or some people with certain medication things, I don't know what it is, so I need them. I need to ask them. Okay, some of you guys know certain things I don't, so we need all each other. Okay. We all need each other, okay? We need each other in every single way. Again, I'm going to give this analogy. I'm not going to everyone call it, but we need each other in different ways. You know, listen, I have a voice that makes joyful noise unto the Lord. I am, I, you know, I, I don't know music, okay? I'm so glad that Victor leads in songs of worship, okay? I'm so glad for him, okay? I'm so glad that in certain things, for instance, uh, for instance, Mr. Burton, if you want to read an organized systematic plan of reading God's Word regularly, he has it all ready, right, for you. Different reading plans, okay? I'm so glad, you know, I, sometimes in ministry I feel like I never have enough time, okay? I feel like I'm burning sometimes on the candle on both ends, right? Being late hours and early morning sometimes just to finish things up. And I'm so glad, for instance, of Mrs. Burton going out there, CF regularly reaching out to kids, right? Evangelistic Bible study was like, wow, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that someone's out there doing the work of God, okay? I'm so glad for, for, for um, 
you know, just for every one of you guys in, in different ways. Okay? Again, we could go on with different things with everything, right? With Jim, with the artist thing, you know, with Ben and Noel, right? Even with setting up things for the church with the fellowship hospitality corner, right? Or people leading the worship for the kids like Julie, right? I could go on. If I didn't mention you, please don't feel like, I'm, you know, it's not a time for bragging or anything else of each one. But I'm bringing this example to say we need each other. My brothers and sisters, we need each other, okay? We need each other in so many different ways, okay? So when we see this, this is only possible is because God has made each one of us. There's a sense of joy. Whenever we have any church members finally finish the membership class or whatever, I'm happy because what? That's like, that's like God has given us another organ piece, okay? Some of you guys, boys, play video games, right? When sometimes you do certain levels, right? You go to the next level, boom, you get a gift of what? certain new weapon or certain new parts or whatever else and it's just like oh all right awesome okay same thing whenever you see someone comes to church it should be oh man there's someone else i need to talk to oh man that's someone else that i'm gonna probably have conflict with maybe they're a weirdo no see rather like with a sense of joy say hey wow that might be another organ that god has given us okay not every one of us is an eye okay not every one of us is a neck, okay? Not every one of us is hands and feet. We need each other, okay? We need each other. And by the way, the organs that is more unique and different, we need each other even more, okay? With that, for the function of God's body, okay? So in light of this, we live that life in, in light of this because of, uh, of we are called to be His body. Look with me also in verse 16. For whom the whole body being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies according to the proper working of every individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself okay some of you guys love being meeting with people okay some of you guys less so okay those people that like to meet with others i think you guys are what are like the blood vessels okay that just goes and replenishes people everywhere okay uh some of you guys uh with various gifts are those that keep things together right admins guys you know like things that people you're the one that comes to me and say hey jimmy we need to do this administratively hey jimmy um you know uh i'm taking care of the finance here 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 or cutting out check or whatever else you guys i think i think is like the joints okay keeping things together okay you need to be strong but yet also uh, flexible also as well okay that's what deacons are okay they're the church shock absorbers you guys are the joints that make things uh happen smoothly okay um, I think most pastors I know have a gift of vision more than gift of admin, okay? Although there's like administrative CEO pastors or executive pastors, okay? But usually if you talk to those, they're usually not the guys that are excited about preaching God's word. They're excited of making things happen and keeping the pastors organized, that kind of thing. But all this is to say that we need each other, okay? As a challenge uh, to you guys, as an application, we need each other. And this is one of the things I feel why well, I love the church, right? I love the church. I love going to the church and driving in the morning and seeing the old ladies in the Chinese congregation bring pushing those little strollers of those little uh, you know carts of like plastic bags and plastic forks and knives. Right? Seeing preparing things for lunch. Okay, I love going to church. Seeing even uh, Anthony and Daniel's grandma, right? That strong veteran for Christ. I mean, she's like ninety something, pushing her stroller going to church, and I feel like. Man, like I have no excuse driving four wheels to church when, man, she's going, there were four wheels to church every Sunday, right? Man, like, you know, I remember when the church shut down, I remember one of the deacons was saying, man, if we don't shut down the church, I'm so worried for Anthony and Daniel's grandmother. She's going to go to church even with the risk of coronavirus. We're going to send her to her death. And I was like, man, praise God we have some, I'm not, we're not going to send her to her death, but we praise God that there's someone so dedicated, right? I, I love seeing her because I remember meeting sometime, one time evangelizing this guy and I found out the random providence of God. This guy came to our church and said, this is the church my mom who's a non-believer came to, but she stopped going because it was invited by this 90-year-old grandmother who used to take the bus uh, with her little thing and then that the, my mom felt scared. Like, what if she uh, you know falls down and everything else, she, she stops going? What? Praise God for someone to ever give an excuse to not go to church is because of someone's faithfully going to church, right? On wheels. Like, I want to be that lady, right? I want to be that lady. I want to go to that church till I die, right? Uh, on, on my wheels with that, right? Praise God. Now, of course, you know, she's very stubborn to do that, all this stuff, right? But I want to be encouraged, right? I praise God. I love going to church, going over there, seeing the kids, right? Seeing Linda there. And seeing her, that she's excited, little Linda, that she's excited to actually want to learn from God's Word, right? I'm excited going to church, seeing there, right? Even Albert, 
right? And Leo, right? And, you know, praise God. I'm so glad, Leo, you've been coming, right? Just even the church environment has changed, right? I'm so glad, right, for even seeing Hector. Hector wanted to do some things with Boy Scout to fix up the church for his Eagle Scout project, right? I'm glad to see my sister. I'm glad to see my in-laws, right, and see my sisters excited. I'm glad for Eric just being there, right, just keeping an eye on the things of church and stocking off all those papers, right? I'm glad to see, you know, all, you know, even Chris and Nancy, every couple's meeting, right? You guys are there. You guys are like honoring members in our church. That's how we feel, right? Knowing you since high school, seeing you've grown, right? Seeing even back then, praying for Nancy's salvation and seeing her grow so much, uh, Nancy, his wife, right? And just even, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful every time, even you, Edward and Margaret, couple, couples meeting, coming every month faithfully. We love to see you more, but it will stop there, okay? Uh, but we, man, we were just so thankful for every single instance. I'm so glad for Phil. Being there, okay? And, and Josh, really eager beaver to read God's word, right? So glad for even Mr. Burton picking up people for the ministry. I'm so glad for Mrs. Burton even there just saying amen, uh-huh, hallelujah, praise God, right? And, and affirming it and giving us the amplified version. In other words, I'm thankful for Julie Courtney. What I'm trying to say is I'm thankful for everyone, okay? I'm thankful even for Eric, you seeing you and seeing it, you know, after many years, just seeing you guys being back and just regularly making the choice to say, hey, coming uh, online every week. I'm thankful for everyone because of God's work. Because of God's working in you makes me affirm and say, hey, God's also working in me even when the times is hardship. And I'm thankful for my wife making us all go out right to church on time. The reason why we barely make it every Sunday is uh, it's not because of me. It's because I'm trying to always touch up sermon last minute. It's because of my wife. Actually, I think the church strength is, is really because, uh, you know, part of it is my wife makes everything happen so I could actually focus on ministry, right? Uh, including feeding me and everything else like that. So we must be thankful for the church because of what God's working. And sometimes, sometimes when we sh- struggle, listen, we must also, when we wonder if God's working in our midst, don't go to the church and say, oh, be jealous, oh, why is God working? But rather say, wow, God's working in the, this, these brothers and sisters' life. Let that be an encouragement to say, God is not done with you too. Let that be an encouragement. Praise God, He's made us His body. Praise God, He loved us so much, He calls us His body. Not something else outside of Himself, but His body as well. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, thank You, Lord, for our small little church. Thank You, Lord, for You working. Thank You, Lord, for each one with all the gifts from being an artist, Lord, from organization and everything else. Lord God, we pray, Lord, that we look with eager anticipation each Sunday to see how Ephesians is applicable to our lives by first going into the deep doctrines of your grace and into our life that we where we need it. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.